0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Loaded Sport, the podcast where we bring you conversations, discussions and debates about loads of sports. For this very special episode, we're moving away from our usual weekend preview and weekend review and bringing you, our listeners, a bonus World Cup preview episode. I'm Dawson and I'll be playing the role of host, joining me to discuss if they think it's coming home for Christmas or if it's just a case of getting your hopes up for Christmas or Adam. Adam, how are you feeling, mate? I've been better, thank
1: you. But I'm hoping, yeah. uh, hoping I can manage to get through this conversation about the World Cup I'm very much a believer of it coming home so.
0: It's very important that you're here mate Which is why I've been given duties of being host tonight Because Adam is feeling under the weather But just based off of that uh, little bit of info you gave us mate I think and I'm sure our listeners will agree that you sound even more upbeat than usual So I'm sure we'll be in for a good episode <laughs> thank you. I'm also joined by Kemp Kemp, how you doing mate? Interim man with the mic, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well mate, thank you, what about yourself?
2: Nah, no, not bad. Thank you. Looking forward to talking about the World Cup and ripping
0: on my favorite England manager. Can't wait. Yeah, that's it, Mike Bassett. Can't wait to hear it. And also, we're very lucky to be joined by the man who's found some time in his busy schedule to bring us the city vibe. So lock up your wives, everyone. It's Mudge. Mudge, <laughs> how are you doing?
3: Blessings upon blessings, brothers. I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm I'm excited for this. There's a there's a lot to talk about. And um Like you said, I think Adam sounds just as miserable as he usually does, so I don't know why. Yeah, but I'm I'm buzzing for this.
0: Good, we're excited to have you, mate, and we'll be even more so to have you more involved moving forward. So, like I just said there, can't wait to get stuck in with you, to the World Cup and I also can't wait to get stuck into you lot even more but that's for another time we'll get into the upcoming tournament very shortly but first I've got a question for each of you what is your earliest World Cup memory Mudge I'm going to start with you mate Um, I think my it's
3: quite a vivid one it might be it's not really depressing for me but it's the 2002 um, World Cup final um, where R9 scored two goals and he had that absolutely unreal haircut where half of his head was loaded up and the rest forgot to kind of uh, turn up it was uh, yeah where he absolutely annihilated Germany and uh, he was in the, the prime of his life um, but that same day my uh, my parents separated as well so I will oh, always day. attach that World Cup final to uh, my parents uh, breaking up so yeah, I'd uh, I'd say that's
2: my earliest. Can okay, I I thought you said it weren't depressing. Jesus Christ! All right, it's good news for me, mate. No, mate. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I,
0: I was just I was just about to say you you know you'd you be Ronaldo there prime of prime of his life. prime, yes. prime of his career is one of my favourite players. My favourite non United player of all time. So, what on that day made you happier? Getting to witness Ronaldo in his prime and win the World Cup, or your parents separating? Yeah,
3: if anything, I thought of my parents separating as just a bit of a distra- distraction. I was trying to watch the game. I saw the first goal like without any distractions and then all hell broke loose. But um, yeah, I mean, R9, like, he's, he, when I, growing up, he was probably my favourite player to watch. I think that Brazil team were, were young then as well. Um, you'd, you would have thought they would have repeated in 2006 as well with the, the team they had. But yeah, he was just phenomenal to watch. And when he came out with that absolutely crisp, Lid as well. I thought he was just just <laughs> audacious, audacious bloke. Absolutely love him.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure there were many people that weren't planning on leaving the house for a little bit that had that haircut. But yeah, it was. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen an interview where where he's explained why he had that. So if any of you are aware of that, or if any of our listeners are aware of that, drop me a link or a comment on, on one of our posts to let me know. Because till to this day, what sixteen? Well, oh, sorry, twenty years later, I'm still not sure what went through his head when he uh, got that cut that day. You- but anyway. Go on, mate. I was saying,
3: do you remember that um, during quarantine, the uh, the lad, on he kind of went viral for it. He asked his dad for that <laughs> yeah. Ronaldo cut, and his dad gave him the 2002 final R9 it, it cut. Is.
0: Yeah, classic. P- poor lad, poor lad. He, he was a bit stressed for that, weren't he? <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Um, and just to clarify, if anyone thought so, I said non Man United player. Um, Just to yeah. clear that up. If, uh, anyone wonders? Kemp earliest world cup memory
2: it's also the 2002 world cup it's not actually anything to do with football it's actually the Anton deck we're on the ball world cup song (laughs) an absolute anthem as you'll probably all agree but no i just remember my stepdad just dancing around the house singing we're on the ball and that's literally like that's literally the only thing i remember from that world cup but um yeah, that's, that's the first memory of the World Cup that I've got. I was only seven at the time so can't expect to remember that much from that World Cup, but being completely honest, that's the uh, the first one I can remember, Dawson.
0: Yeah, I think that's the kind of age where you do start to remember, just off the back of that, I'll give you mine, uh, to back you up. World Cup 1998 uh, in France is my earliest memory. I was eight years old at the time. Uh, beat uh, Tunisia 2-0 in the opening game. Beat Colombia Beckham's free kick where he did the infamous at the time, sort of humping celebration. I don't know what you want to call it, but I'm sure you'll remember it. And then that game in the knockout stages against Argentina, the Michael Owen wonder goal where he took the ball in the halfway line, beat two Argentinian players and buried it in the top corner, announced himself on the world stage at only 18 years old and unfortunately went out on penalties to, um, after, well, after misses from, it was Paul Linton, and David Batty, I want to say, both had their penalties saved, but yeah. That's my, uh, that's my earliest memory um, from the World Cup and yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I love it. I fell out of love with football over the years. It's picked up slightly over the last couple of years but the World Cup's always been there as like peak fandom for me. I absolutely love it. Adam, mate, what about yourself? What's your earliest World Cup memory?
1: Uh, similar to Mudge and Kemp, mine was back in 2002 uh, when we played against Brazil in the quarter-final and it was a 7.30am kickoff a bizarre time to be kicking off a football match, and we went into school. School opened early for it, parents stayed along and watched it, um, and I was still starting to learn a little bit more about football at the time, so to me it was just a chance to you know, skip a little bit of school because the game had finished after school should have started, and all we could hear was parents grumbling about the fact with 10 minutes to go and his 2-1 down to Brazil, Teddy Sheringham was coming on. So for me, it's a similar sort of situation, 2002 World Cup. Fortunately, unfortunately, should I say, sorry, uh, we lost to Brazil 2-1 and they would obviously go on to win it.
0: Yeah, I uh, I remember watching that at school myself. Um, I think, what year was it? 2002, weren't it? Yeah, so yeah. I'd have been in secondary school then, but watched it in my local primary school. And I remember me and Tina consoling each other after the game. Um, which is a weird memory to have 20 years later but yeah Some things never change do they?
2: Some things never some change Some things never change <laughs> me and seeing the
0: console and ourselves after disappointing England performances you're right some things never change so that's the earliest World Cup memory for, for all of us I, I'm going to move on now to favourite World Cup memory and I, I'm going to start like this off if if that's okay um, great tournament moments as we know not always the best performances but always fond memories especially when you're growing up but I'm going to have to highlight World Cup 2018 in Russia as my favourite World Cup memory. Um to be honest, it's hard to pick a specific memory. I think life peaked when Kieran Trippier bagged that free kick in the semi-final after five minutes against Croatia. It's all gone downhill since then. But just that summer as a whole was was amazing. The weather was brilliant. You know, the whole country was behind the England side, didn't go into the tournament with much hype after the performance at Euro 2016 going out to Iceland. You know, probably the most embarrassing tournament performance of of our lifetime so wasn't much hope wasn't much expectation but as we went through the tournament that that confidence grew that momentum grew that that country pride grew uh, and it was great watching the games at the welfare the penalty shootout against Colombia, winning a penalty shootout as an england fan is always going to be an amazing memory in itself the day session on the saturday against sweden for the quarterfinals you know, getting to the pub early, watching that three o'clock kickoff, really comfortable win, just all day in the pub with the lads and, and family and stuff like that. And then, like I said, that that sort of what 45 minutes or so, I think we were 1 0 up still at half time. So that 45, 50 minutes, maybe even close to an hour, where we thought maybe, just maybe, we were going to head to the World Cup final. Unfortunately, it wasn't beat in the end, but overall, uh, a phenomenal summer. So for that, that for me is, is my favourite World Cup memory. Adam, I'll come over to you next.
1: Uh, mate next for, for yours mine uh, is was kieran Trippier's free kick but as you've pointed that out i've got to also look at the columbia game the fact that we took that game to penalties and then went on to win it um i think we were in control for a lot of that game and the fact that we actually won a penalty shootout for the first time in, on an international tournament made me sit there and think you know what it's actually coming home i know i've been saying for ages and ages that football's coming home you've not home stopped since mate exactly and it's just one of them things isn't it that you just kind of get used to saying but I sat down and saw us win that game on penalties and I, that was where it really hit me that actually th- this could be coming home. We've got Croatia to beat in the semi-final and then win the World Cup final. There's a chance that we could go all the way here. So yeah, I'd have to say the uh, penalty shootout against Colombia and the, fa- the fact that it gave me the realisation that it could actually happen.
0: Yeah, and I think as well because we went ahead early. Well, we went ahead in the game through a Harry Kane penalty, and then Columbia, if I remember rightly, scored like 89th, 90th minute to equalize. And there was kind of that feeling of, oh, here we go again. You know, Columbia, we went into that game thinking it's going to be a tough game, a bit of a bogey side. We've always struggled against teams from South America. So when they scored that goal, it was like, here we go again and then the penalties came and so I was even more dread. but like you said managed to win and that just changed the mindset and the mentality of, of fans and the belief in the team completely. Mudge, what about yourself? What's your favourite World Cup memory?
3: Um, oh, I think my favourite World Cup memory, I don't specifically have like a a match or a player doing anything but I have really fond memories of the 2014 World Cup and I think that's because I watched a lot of it. Um, I think when you're kind of growing up as a, as a kid, although you absolutely love the world cup i i like found myself not really watching every game until the 2014 world cup where i just yeah watched almost all the group stages the schedule was quite nice as well there was always like a 12 1 a.m kind of game so it was quite nice to kind of watch that into the late morning um but uh i have to agree i think in terms of as, as an england fan the uh, 2018 world cup was yeah, that was crazy. I think people tend to forget how um, lethal James Rodriguez was during that tournament. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, although we won it on pens, I think, uh, yeah, I think we were quite um, fortunate to kind of get through them because they were they were in a good bit of form. But uh, yeah, the 2014 World Cup, I really got to enjoy that one. Really got to, to watch it. I've uh, got good memories of that summer as well. It was um, quite a carefree summer being a uh, 22 Skipping year old through the fields, yeah, exactly, but naked. So, uh, yeah, definitely yeah. 2014
0: World Cup, mate. Yeah, that's fair. You mentioned James Rodriguez there of Colombia, that tournament in 2014 in Brazil was kind of the the tournament where he announced himself on that world stage, he, he took that team and the country on his back and, and carried them far into to the tournament, didn't he? He got a big move to Madrid and, yeah. you know, there was a lot of hype going into that 2018 World Cup, as, as you said, as he was known as the leader, as the forefront, as that main talent, similar to like a, a Gareth Bale for Wales, you know, that real superstar in a, in a team. So, yeah. He
3: scored uh, yeah. Um, he scored screamers in that World Cup as well. He scored that yeah. unreal volley uh, where he kind of hit it into a crossbar. Uh, and then also the uh, the cheeky dink against uh, Japan, I think, absolutely yeah. lethal player during that tournament. Um, yeah, he
0: just came alive. Yeah, yeah. Kemp, what about you, mate? What's your favourite World Cup memory?
2: Similar to Mudge, really. Um, Twenty fourteen World Cup really fond memories of it due to the fact that I just you know finished college, or was literally just about to finish college. I think when it first started. Was you know had my place at university booked. We would got Magaluf booked for the summer as well. So again, as as Mudge said, carefree, very very carefree that summer, and uh, enjoyed myself very much. I think we watched the second group game, or it might have been the third group game. I think we actually watched that one in Beach Bar. So that tells you how carefree. <laughs> that tells you how carefree that World Cup was. What a fucking shit uh, I agree. So, <laughs> so I think it's in terms of a World Cup, a memory of an overall World Cup. I think that one's probably my favourite. But when it comes to a, a World Cup moment, I'd have to say that Kiri and Trippier free kick from 2018. I, I was very, very optimistic at that point. I was, I was yet to be beaten down by Gareth Southgate's negativity. And um, so positive watching the game with all you boys, and what an unbelievable. What an unbelievable atmosphere it was, just looking at each other thinking, you know, can we do it, can we do it, and then we didn't, so (laughs) it was unfortunate in the end, but but yeah, I think those two World Cups specifically, uh, I think the 2014 one for the overall tournament, but for a a moment itself it's very difficult to look past that Trippier free kick, where as you say Dawson, quite rightfully, life peaked.
0: Yeah, I agree mate, I'm just uh, very quickly doing a a Google search to find out who Kirian Trippier is, but uh, he sounds like a good guy. Did I say Kirian Trippier? <laughs> you did say Kirian Interesting. Trippier. <laughs> well, Kirian Trippier.
2: <And> <laughs> shout it's like out two on minutes.
0: Yeah. yeah, give us a shout out. We've give we've, us a shout out, Kiriam.
2: We'd like to know your predictions for the World <laughs> Cup. Yeah, love that. Thanks. Thanks for
0: pointing that one out, Dawson. Appreciate it. There was it mate. I could, I was biting my tongue for two minutes waiting for a gap, and I thought, has it been too long? But I had to say it. But anyway, so there are earliest and our, our favorite World Cup memories, uh, from our well, from the tournaments throughout our lifetime so far. But as of Sunday, the, uh, the tournament has the opportunity to make even new memories, maybe even ones that will top those lists, depending on how England get on. So we'll move on to what's upcoming. So as of Sunday, as I mentioned there, we'll start off World Cup 2022 in Qatar with the opening game in the same place where the final will be played in the capital in Doha. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around the circumstances to which Qatar ended up with the tournament and I don't think it'd be right for us to to go on without having a sort of a brief discussion we don't want to get too political you know we do want this to be a, a sort of you know a light-hearted conversation around the World Cup but I don't think you can do that without presenting the other side as well in the controversy about a them ending up with the World Cup and be also some of the circumstances around the workers and everything else like that, but also Qatar's sort of political stance when it comes to certain minorities and human rights and, and that kind of thing as well. So, I, I mean, for me personally, I, I'll open this and, and sort of, if, if anyone wants to say anything off the back of it, I think people are absolutely right to, to protest and, and not be happy with Qatar getting the World Cup They've they they weren't set up to run a World Cup. You know, we always talk about Great Britain and or the UK or you know, some of the major cities in the world or major countries in the world, should I say, and across Europe, would be ready Sunday to run a World Cup if needed. And, and Qatar certainly weren't that. They've spent $138 billion to get ready for the World Cup. That's building stadiums and everything else. Just to compare that, South Africa had quite a bit of work to do to make sure that they were ready in 2010. They spent $3.5 billion. So you can see the difference there between a city that really, really wanted it but weren't quite there to a city like Qatar or a country like Qatar, should I say, that were absolutely not ready in the slightest. And, you know, there's uh, new newly Newly released documentary on Netflix about the corruption in FIFA around that time, which I haven't watched yet, so I won't comment too much. But I definitely point that out as a bit of an insight into as to what went on to end up with us having a Winter World Cup starting this Sunday. Um, I know the sort of the defensive argument of that is about bringing the Western world and and their view on human rights and and acceptance and all that kind of thing. It's 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 important to have that inclusion for that part of the world and to allow them to represent things that other places have the opportunity to present what, you know, where's, where's the line, where do we say, no, you've got to, you've got to show that you can be a progressive country and accept certain people and, and groups of people before you have that opportunity. Or, you know, is it a case of we do have to give them that opportunity to show they can change Saudi Arabia, very close to Qatar. You know, they've had boxing events, they've had MMA events, they've had, um, Newcastle obviously have been taken over by certain parts of their government as well wrestling events have, have been quite popular over there too so that side of the world is starting to be included in these sort of major sports events but we're, we're not quite there yet in terms of seeing actual change of how they run their day to day life and how people that may visit their country or live in their country can be accepted for who they really are and I think I do think in terms of the political aspect and the protest side of it there there is some slight hypocrisy there. I completely agree with the protests. I completely agree for what they stand for. But if you look at, and I may be a bit controversial in saying this, but I think in four years' time, there's going to be a World Cup in the United States of America. And, you know, we're, we're very knowledgeable in terms of the stadiums and the cities that are going to be used. And it will all be about the glitz and the glamour. But there's a lot of political things that even our part of the world don't agree with and get highlighted a lot in the news, like gun laws, like... The recent changes to abortion rights for women and it being their choice because it's their body and all that kind of stuff. Again, I completely agree with people having, you know, the right to do what they want. But I've got a feeling, come four years' time, because it's because it's fancy, because it's a spectacle, because it's about the glitz and the glamour, that kind of stuff will be put on the back burner and won't really be highlighted and talked about. So I just think us as fans, like if we're gonna have an issue with one country having it for certain reasons, we've got to be consistent across the board. I don't know if I'm wrong in saying that, lads, or if anyone agrees, but that's just sort of my thoughts on it. Because I, I do think it's important just to highlight some of the discussions that are going around in media and social media and everything else heading in Sunday. I think um, what I
2: would go, go on, on no, I appreciate that. I think what I would say on it, and again, I, I couldn't agree more with the initial part of the 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 sort of what you said there, in the sense that I think it's absolutely right that everybody has the ability and the, um, the right to protest. I think that's absolutely correct. I think the the way the Qataris run their society and, and the way that they don't accept people from certain backgrounds is, is, is something we definitely don't agree with as, as, a, as a country, as, as our ethics. I'd say the vast majority of the people in the West probably don't agree with that either. I would also say the workers' rights and the way that they've been trapped while they've been building the stadiums and, and, and stuff like that is, is 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 obviously appalling for anybody that's seen any information about it. And I mean, what really do you have to say about the World Cup bid itself? Everybody's Pretty much knew from the outset that it was corrupt. It was backhanders. It was money. It was the Qataris paying FIFA to to let them host the World Cup, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. It's. I don't think you'll get anybody really in world football, even the most ardent FIFA supporters and defenders, that will will deny that that took place. But ultimately, we're in a position now where we're a, a couple of days away, a day away from the tournament starting, and that's that's it. That's that's over. It's. There's nothing you can do about that. Everything's set up and it's ready to go. On to your second point, and I've got a third point as well that I'll move on to and I'll probably give out about that one a little bit. On to your second point about the consistency that we need to show when, you know, the US host it in four years' time. I don't think while we do have the right to protest and we do have the right to make our feelings and our opinions quite clear, Qatar is a it's an Arab country and the the national religion of qatar is islam and it's quite clear that in the islamic religion it is a sin to you know to be homosexual or 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 something like that and you have to you have to respect other people's religions and other people's beliefs and it's Yes, I agree. It's not right. It's absolutely disgraceful what they do and what they've said and what, what they've, you know, how they treat people. But ultimately, the World Cup is being hosted in that country. You can't expect to go to that country and expect to live with the same sort of freedoms and, and do what you want, where you want, when you want in, the, in that country as you can in our country. You know, when people come to our country, we expect them to ac- accept our culture So I think it is only fair and I think it's right that, yes, while we protest and we do that peacefully and and we try and educate them in a way that isn't patronising that these things are important, the human rights abuses for, you know, trans or, or homosexual people is very, very important. But at the same time, we can't go over to the other side of the world and lecture them. On, on beliefs that they hold very strongly, and that's how they run their society. So I think it's a very double-edged sword. Obviously, it takes doesn't take a genius to, to figure out that I absolutely do not agree with anything that Qatar, Qataris say on that side of things, but I also think there has to be a level of respect from people visiting that country as well. The third and final thing I'll say before I bring you in, Mudge, and the thing that's really pissed me off just as much as anything else in this entire tournament is people like David Beckham and Gary Neville who virtue signal till the cows come home about how they're so progressive and how they're such heroes of the game and, you know, they should be awarded and lauded for their for their opinions and their and and Gary Neville, you know, standing on stage with Keir Starmer is so progressive, he's, you know, part of the Labour Party. And then he's getting paid by the Qataris, or you know, to, to go on being sports. You know, we don't need to talk about it too much because because the conversations have already been had. But that's the thing that really annoys me currently about this World Cup. Maybe because it's happened recently, but the hypocrisy from some of the, the 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 media figures in in our country and former players in our country, you know, ambassadors for Qatar with the with the the human rights you know issues that they've had. Yeah. And, and then being ambassadors for them, it's just, it, it doesn't sit well. And Mudge, I don't know if you'll agree, but that's that's the thing that's really pissing me off at the minute about it all.
3: Yeah, I think uh, I think it's pretty public knowledge amongst all of our group of friends that uh, the Gary Neville situation irked you quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know what? I think I'd compare that to um, celebrities singing Feed the World when they've got millions of uh, pounds in, the, in their pockets. Do you know what I mean? It's quite hypocritical um and uh yeah i think um i think the issue that i had with the qatar should have should have it should have been a straight note purely because of as mentioned in in terms of what it what kind of state it is it's an authoritarian monarchist state with no real football tradition or culture and that's what i focused on the most the fact that they awarded it to a country with no real history of football or anything like that and i get it i, I do get the idea of you know, we want to kind of kind of improve, uh, you know, a, a country status or kind of get them in the in the spotlight for the right reasons. You know, let's help them kind of, you know, achieve some form of uh, progress as um, as, a, as an organization. I'm sure that's what FIFA thought about it. But I think it, it, it's just really pointed towards a bad decision because they had 24 members on that committee. Um, and I think was it, it was a 14 to 8 split for Qatar and the USA. But I think out of those twenty-four, two are actually exposed as being bribable. So it just goes to show, like they were just pretty much a collective of like criminals, or you know, it just didn't really point um, any kind of uh, any kind of uh, integrity towards uh, what what was going on there. And um, yeah, like like I get it. I mean, Bayern Munich, for example, uh, often train uh, in Doha. So you know, I feel like Qatar are quite well connected in terms of uh, yeah well, in terms of countries I know the French president and uh, the German president heavily supported the World Cup in, in Qatar. Uh, I just think it, it, it yeah it didn't it didn't seem like a fair decision. it just felt like it was really really rigged and um, yeah I mean everyone's kind of knowing this World Cup as the air con Cup like they'll be playing in like still ridiculous heat like we're talking November. And they'll be playing, I think, if I'm correct, in inside, inside stadiums with the aircon on. That's not what football should be about. It should be played in the summer, you know, it, with the stadium tops fully open. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But, um, yeah, I think it, the appointment had red flags straight away. Um, Adam, I don't know what your, what your thoughts on it are. But, I mean, from what I've gathered, it seems to be a pretty unanimous, uh, dodgy decision from uh, FIFA.
1: Yeah, I've not really got too much more to add on to it than what you three have already said. Um, like you said, it's was just it been kind of like covered in bribery from the very beginning, hasn't it? The decision to allow Qatar to host it. And then obviously everything that's gone from there has just spiralled uh, down. And it just seems like it was a mistake to even let Qatar host it in the first place.
0: And you mentioned there much about about the Aircon, or the Aircon Cup or what you called it there. And the whole point of it being... In November to December is because of the weather during the summer months. Hitting yeah. fifty degrees is is clearly unreasonable to expect any kind of world class football, shall we say, or world class sport of any kind to be played in those conditions. Which is why it was moved. It's going to kick off Sunday, Kemp. You mentioned it yourself. It, it is kind of it's too late now. It's going ahead, whether we agree or disagree with it. There's nothing we can do to stop it. We can talk about it all night, you know, and all through the tournament, but that isn't going to stop it going ahead it's just a case now of of what will the legacy of it be? Because they can come out of the other end of it and say, you know what, fair enough, they got ready for it and they delivered, or it's going to be a mess start to finish. But, you know, whatever the outcome of it is, you know, people died to, to get it on, get it ready. You know, migrant workers, you know, working on the stadiums and into the thousands. So no matter what the legacy of it is, even if it is really good and they deliver on screen in terms of the, the what's delivered on the pitch it, there's always going to be that sort of sour taste in your mouth because of what was sacrificed to get to that point but it doesn't yeah, matter thought, what
2: happens in the tournament it's tarnished already it's
0: yeah tarnished. I'm not I, yeah it's, yeah.
2: it's, it's i know i'm agreeing with exactly what you're saying you know there's there's nothing they could do it could be the most entertaining world Cup that we've ever had it could be five nil five five games every single game it wouldn't matter and I, i'm i'm just i hope now that it isn't tarnished anymore I think my biggest concern now, it's not on the pitch. I think on the pitch it's going to be the exact same as any other tournament. I think it's going to be, you know, it's a World Cup. It's great. It comes around every four years. I think what's concerning me more than anything else is, is fans and fan safety. I, I can't see the Qataris taking their foot off the gas when it comes to vigilant policing of of, of the rules in their country. And you, again, you can make the argument, as I just sort of have playing devil's advocates to you know, you're in their country, you should sort of respect their rules. And I think if football fans don't respect their rules, I, I do think there's likely to be a little bit of trouble and I, and I feel like there'll be a few fans in um, in, in unfavourable predicaments and, and that worries me and I just hope that every single football fan who goes to Qatar to watch the World Cup, I hope they, you know, enjoy themselves but be as safe as they possibly can be and, and come home safely because I think that's my biggest concern, Dawson, to be honest, at this point in time.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a, a good message to end it on because with every tournament, you know, you always know someone or you know someone that knows someone that's going to the tournament games, but I, I don't really know of anyone that's heading out that that way to to watch any games for this World Cup. You know, it has been in the media the last couple of days about them hiring fans and all this kind of stuff, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of atmospheres there will be throughout the games, especially as the, as the competition progresses. But yeah, I think... Uh, Anyone that is going there, staying safe is paramount, regardless of whatever kind of enjoyment enjoyment you want to partake in. So, I think we'll uh, we'll leave that subject uh, there and move on to the thing or the team that is on everyone's mind, and that is of course England, led by Gareth Southgate and his captain Harry Kane. It took over after that. Well, we'll go piss poor. I was going to think of a really nice professional word, but we'll go with piss poor performance in the Euros
3: 2016
0: and it took and, and turned that round into what was that semi-final performance in World Cup 2018 and then of course reaching the final in the Euros just last year before losing on penalties to Italy. So The faith is still there, or the faith has grown. There is, however, going into this tournament, a lot of talk about Southgate's tactics, about Southgate's future. And for me personally, I think that's very harsh, because on paper, in our lifetime, we've never got past the quarterfinals. We've not even got into some tournaments like Euro 2008, for example. So... A manager that's got a tournament record of a semi-final and a final that was lost penalties, I think deserves all the respect in the world and not quite some of the harsh opinions that are going round. And I think that would be a perfect time to bring back in Kemp and talk me through your current thoughts on the team. They're, They're a team that are going into the tournament in not great form at all. They've not won any of the last six games. What, what are your thoughts, mate, on, on Southgate, on his career as England manager and, and what you're expecting by the time this tournament comes to a close or England's uh, partaking in it comes to a close? Yeah, and I think that's a really good
2: point and a really good 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 place to start. You mentioned Gareth Southgate's legacy as England manager and I'm going to surprise a few of you now and say I think it's, I think Gareth Southgate's influence on the England team as a whole, I think has been really positive. I'm not saying that. I absolutely do not think that it's a you know he's had a bad influence on the team whatsoever. You look at the result and the performance that we had in the 2016 Euros, as you mentioned, and going out to Iceland in such a pathetic manner, it, it couldn't get much worse. But you know, Southgate really did come in and galvanised the squad, brought some young players into the squad, galvanised the country, and and really made us feel proud of of the England team again. I honestly do think Gareth Southgate has got a very good relationship with the players. I think the players really like him, really respect him. And I, and I do think he's 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 turned it around on that side of things. Now I'm going to move on to the other side of things. So this, is, this is we're so, putting
0: this part behind a paywall so that's how you really feel. So so <laughs> no, that, that
2: that honestly is how I really feel about it, but, but then I'm going to come on to something else. So that's off the pitch more than anything else. So now we look at on the pitch. So I'm going to just very, very quickly run through Gareth Southgate's tournament results, if that's okay with everybody. So World Cup 2018, I'm going to start with there. England 2, Tunisia 1, scraped past those. England 6, Panama 1. That was an unbelievable day, I'm sure everybody will agree. England 0, Belgium 1. Okay, let's move on. Round of 16, England beat Colombia on penalties. Quarterfinals. England beat Sweden 2-0. Semi-finals, Croatia beat England 2-1. We'll not bother about the Belgium third place playoff because it doesn't mean anything, does it? Let's be honest. I feel like it's a bit of a waste of time. Okay. So that's the, the the World Cup um side of things for Gareth Southgate. So if you could just sort of reflect on that, I'll I'll go, I'll point to you, Mudge, on this one. I'll pick on you. If you could just reflect on that. The teams that we beat in there. Tell yeah. me which of those teams we should have lost against.
0: Hmm.
3: <laughs> I do get your point. I do get your that's, point. That's
2: that's my only. But my only point is that
3: that is yeah. my only point. So, okay. I will. So I think in terms of Southgate, right? I'll make a quick
2: point. I'm I am going to continue after you finish, by the way. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, I'd I'd say Colombia were a bit of a bogey team. I think we all agree with that. Um, Sweden. I mean, we we were expecting them, but honestly, they're they're a really gritty, resilient side. So, um, you know, I'd um, I'd think maybe Sweden, and then obviously Belgium um, as well. But you can only beat who's in front of you. And no, don't I agree get... with that. No, yeah. I agree
2: with that. I agree with that. And I'm I'm very very happy that we did beat those sides. I, I don't get me wrong. I really am. But being completely honest, being completely honest, do you really think? that any of those sides were really, you know, you could have come away from that thinking, oh, you know, I can't believe we've lost against those, like Iceland or somebody like that, you know. A game where we've come out of it and thought, God, I can't believe we've lost against them. They're rubbish. Yeah,
3: I think you've got to look at the situation, though, because in 2016, like, I think we were pretty much rock bottom.
2: No, I, and I've, <laughs> I've given credit to Southgate for that. Yeah, they yeah, really yeah. Are. So I, really think,
3: I, I, I think maybe his influence was over-exaggerated a little bit. And obviously the teams that we beat may have not been of the best quality,
0: mm-hmm. but
3: for us to kind of see that kind of progression so quickly, um, I think you got to give Southgate credit for how quickly he managed to kind of get a decent tournament um, out, of, out of England considering two, okay. two years before that they okay, lost. Fair the, point. Fair point. Uh, fair point. Lost to a point. team they should never be losing to. How we lost to Iceland, I don't
2: know. No, fair point. I agree. I agree with that. And like I say, Southgate galvanizes pretty well. But
0: so, what's your fucking problem? So, then, on, Ken? so on Euro,
2: hang <laughs> on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So at the World Cup, we lost against Croatia and Belgium, right? Okay.
0: Good science. So We move on to
2: the Euros now. We move on to the Euros. England one, Croatia nil. England nil, Scotland nil. Czech Republic nil, England one. England, two, Germany, nil. Ukraine, nil, England, four. England, two, Denmark, one. Italy, one, England, one. Italy win 3-2 on penalties. Bearing in mind at that point in time, I think we'll all agree that the German side was very diminished. Wasn't the German side that we all knew and feared, okay? So in my opinion, and this is why I think Southgate is, is, is a fraud and everybody thinks he's absolutely fantastic, and I just don't get it. There's three teams in that entire list of teams that I've just mentioned there. So Croatia and Belgium in 2018, and Italy in 2020, okay? They are the only three games where I look at it on paper with the sides and the squads that we played against, where if we'd have beat them, it's a really, really good win. That's a really good win against a team that we're either underdogs against, or we're about even, we've 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 managed to beat those teams the three times that Gareth Southgate's come up against a team that's capable of playing decent football and actually tactically able to adjust to to England we've failed he can't adapt tactically as we've seen against I- Italy in the final because in the first 15 minutes we were absolutely all over him and then after that Italy just con- controlled and dominated the game throughout the game and we 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 didn't deserve to win it let's be honest we we just didn't you know, Croatia did the exact same. And from my perspective, how do you expect England to do anything else and win anything under Gareth Southgate when we've had two of the easiest runs we are ever going to have at the attempt of, of winning silverware, for, you know, winning the Euros or winning the World Cup? We're never going to have a, a run as easy as that again. You know, Brazil got eliminated. France France got eliminated so early. I think in, in the last Euros, you know, we had a clear run at it. You know, an old Italy side is all we had to come up against. And we failed spectacularly at Wembley. And again, Southgate, fantastic for what he's done. He's galvanised the squad, he's galvanised the team. He really embraced it and, and took us to that next level after the disappointment at the Iceland of the Iceland game. But ultimately, it's just every single time we play against a decent team, he fails, and he always will. I I think it's
3: harsh to say uh, that Germany team were diminished. I think their issue was they were that German team was fairly. It was a mix of like experience and youth, um, and obviously same was same with us. We, if anything, we were a bit more experienced. But I think they played three at the back um, with two wing backs, and we did the same as well. We were just much more lethal on the counter, and I think they also liked have hit one just wide like they're unlucky to get to get a goal in that game do you know what Kemp? i remember during that tournament i swear during euros like i think leading up to a final you said it's coming home like i think adam had goaded you into saying it's coming home you
0: don't
3: say that at euros yeah yeah, it's coming home like my coach (laughs) (laughs) wasn't the original
0: wasn't the original song about the euros in 96 because the tournament was being played oh god yeah it was and I thought that was just about the World, I thought that was just about the World Cup no it was originally about Euro 96 because it was being played in um I don't know if it was just England or or the UK I'm not sure because um, I can't remember like mm. I can't remember watching it like I, said, I think the only was other my thing I'd say,
2: yeah I think the only thing I'd say as well on it is aside from Gareth Southgate's tournament performances where again in my opinion three teams we we was you know that there were tough games and we've lost all three so any tough opposition we come up against we've lost against and and pretty badly as well you know we've not shown much fight and much heart in those games i think we expected a lot more but the nations league performances that we've had this summer i mean surely we can all agree that not only the the performance no, the results but the performance was absolutely diabolical and i think we'll get into the predictions for how we think england are going to go on but my god yeah how bad
0: was that i agree hey, but do we care? No. Yeah, I do like, care like, because it, you're
2: coming into the World Cup in the winter. But it's a dead tournament. But it's not about the tournament. I, don't, I, I couldn't give less of a shit about the Nations League. That's not the point. The point is, is that it's a, it's it's like friendlies. You want exciting young players to come on, you know, really fight for their place in the squad, play exciting, forward-thinking, attacking football, you know, really good at these teams. Like you say, who cares? There's nothing to lose. Let's just do it. We were absolutely pathetic. And I mean, but I think who we cares? Were that at it's one a point. nothing
0: game. But because when it a matters, we don't care. Sem-
2: a lot of people care because. I'm not, I'm not summer- saying that
0: you're wrong or in the minority, but what I'm saying is why should you care about friendlies or a dead tournament like the Nations League? Why should we give a shit about the performances? Because Why should we give about the sh-
3: shit about the World Cup. Yeah. It, it doesn't it matter because, because I do World see... Cup. He's delivered a, see, a
0: semi-final in a final in the two actual tournaments he's, he's
2: managed. Yeah, and then as soon as he comes up against a good team we've gone out on our arses.
3: I do see... I do see Kemp's point in terms of form because obviously if you're going in like losing every game going into a big tournament you'd be a little bit worried about that. My... I'll, I'll quickly chime in about Gareth Southgate from my side. Uh, I won't um, disrespect him in terms of what he's achieved. I think... Any manager to come in and take you to, um, you know, a semi and a final, is unbelievable. Especially in their first two tournaments. Uh, I think uh, when you look at managers, right, there's different strengths and weaknesses. So I agree with Kemp. I don't think he's tactically um, there to kind of lead England to a. I, I don't. I don't think he's going to. I don't think we've. We're going to go to a final in the World Cup this year. Um, I think. Like Kemp said, I think he's just. Um, he, although considering he's got that, that that pool of players at his disposal, um, England have been a bit kind of underwhelming, I think, in terms of their performance in general. Like when you see a France play, you just see that they're just controlling everything, and they're just so electric at the front. With England, we're squeezing through wins like a you know against teams that we should be kind of beating quite consistently. But I will give Gareth Southgate this: I think he is. Or like when he first came in, his man motivation um, is probably second to none. Especially when you've got an Englishman in the room as well. Like as a young England player, you just look at that and you are like, "Yeah, I want to pay for this guy." But um, there are some um, you know limitations with him as well. He's obviously tactically not 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 the best coach in terms of you know leading a, a team to to the glory land. So I I do agree with. Skin in the sense that um, you know he's done tremendously well in his first two tournaments, but I think in the long run, I agree with Kemp. He's not tactically the right guy to, to take us um, to, to the big one. I think and uh, and win a trophy. So yeah, that's my two pence. Two pence on um, Gareth Southgate. Um, Agam, I know you're ill, but have you got anything to say?
0: Yeah, I've, I've I'll, I'm gone. I'm I'm just gonna open follow on that with a question I'm going to come to you Adam for for the first answer on this let's assume that Gareth Southgate leaves tonight because the answer to this question will be changed by how they perform in, in this upcoming World Cup but let's assume that Gareth Southgate leaves tonight will his legacy be more about what he delivered on the pitch with that semi-final and final performance in the two major tournaments or will it be more about how he changed the culture behind the scenes because we all know about growing up with you know there's been so many interviews with players like Rio Ferdinand, Gerard, Lampard, those kind of players who hated being on England duty because they hated playing with players that play for rival teams at club level, whereas now that culture has disappeared. So, Adam, assuming Southgate leaves tonight, assuming they do well in the coming tournament, where will his legacy be more felt long-term for for the England national team? On the field or behind the scenes?
1: I think it's behind the scenes. It's got to be. I mean, he's done very well to get us to a semi-final and a final. But if I'm being completely honest with the different manager, would we have won either of those tournaments? You could probably argue that we would. I know Kemp more than likely will argue that we, we would have won one of them tournaments. Like we've seen in interviews in the past, Gerard, Ferdinand, Lampard have all said that there was no togetherness. You stayed within your teams when you went to play for England. And it kind of ruined it a little bit, kind of ruined the golden generation, so to speak. What we see now, and social media has become a big part of it, so we can see what's actually going on behind the scenes with the England team at the moment. There appears to be a real togetherness be- be- with the players. They seem all geared up for it, and there seems to be that sort of of camaraderie that we didn't have back when we had the golden generation, obvious goals your and Rooney and them sort of players as well. So I think a lot of it's got to come to that. What we've also got to think of, and when you think back to when Gareth Southgate was originally appointed, for me... I was, I was set behind it being either Sean Dish or Eddie Howe at the time because of what they'd done with Burnley or Bournemouth respectively. And Gareth Southgate, now you look back at it, was the obvious appointment because he'd used a lot of these players at the under-21 level when he was manager there. And it's something that the FA wanted to introduce, bringing in players that had played together from the under-21 level, bringing them through. Yeah, you're going to get the occasional player that maybe doesn't meet that sort of potential that was set out for them at the beginning. And with Southgate, he's brought those sort of players through. So he's managed a lot of this England squad From an earlier age, and if we're going in that same sort of routine, the next manager is obviously going to be Lee Carsley, which again doesn't make too much sense. But you look back on what the FA's process was, and it makes sense. It was Gareth Southgate. I think the fact that his style of football is yes, if we get a goal, but when we get them goals in them games that that Kemp's mentioned, the one we got early on against Croatia, the fact that we scored early against Italy in both of those games, we got the goal. But then we sat back, and the reason why we were dominated in those games, because we allowed the pressure to get to us. We didn't take the game to them. We got the goal. We thought we could sit back for the remaining 85 minutes and and just sit tight and hope that they they wouldn't get a goal out of it. Croatia obviously managed to get something out of it, and Italy took it to penalties in the end. So you you go up against two sides that are quite strong attackingly, and and there you go. You're going to have that sort of struggle. So for me, I think his legacy will sit with the fact that if he leaves today, The the news reports are all going to say he's the manager that took us to a semi-final and a final. It'll not say anything about the fact that he he bottled it he lost us those finals. It'll just be the fact that he took England to those parts of the tournament.
0: Fair enough. So I'm going to come to you now, each of you one at a time, with your pre-tournament prediction on England's progress. And then I also want you to give me your starting 11 if you were in charge that would win england the world cup so kem i'm going to start with you mate what's your pre-tournament thoughts on how far england get and what is your lineup that can and would win us the world cup in qatar
2: last 16 we'll get through the group we should get through the group usa wales iran i mean iran really shouldn't be a difficult challenge at all i think usa and wales wales are really going to be proper up for it usa they've got some decent players but they shouldn't be too much of a this should, should be tricky customers really. So I'm thinking we'll get through the group but I think we'll fall at the first knockout hurdle. I don't know who we're gonna get I don't know who the possibility is that we'll get but I just think when we get to that knockout round, I think we'll bottle it straight away. I don't even think it'll be a get through the stretch of the tournament. I think it'll be a an immediate bottle job. so that's that's my prediction for how I think England will get on. As regards the team, I did give a lot of thought to this and I, I, I wonder what you guys think, but here we go. And I might surprise a few of you with with this prediction. So I'm going with four at the back. I don't think the three at the back works anymore. <laughs> I think it's very, very negative. I think Southgate really doesn't play to his strengths. We've got some fantastic attacking players and and we don't we don't utilize them and we've got some very weak players at the back and we tend to like like Adams just said sit back rather than go forward which doesn't make all the sense in the world to me so I'm going Pickford in goal I'm going Walker Cody Stones and Trippier Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice in the midfield Sterling on the left Foden as a number ten Saka on the right and Harry Kane up front so it's more of a sort of four two three one I would say. Uh, with the emphasis on sort of going forward, maybe Trippier and Walker bombing forward where they can, and Bellingham and Rice maybe covering for those for for, for those guys when they bomb on. So for me, that's that's my starting eleven, and
0: I don't know if that's sprung any surprises for anyone, but that's that's what I go with. I think Cody being in there, Trippier at left back is a bit surprising, but I'll I'll quickly jump in with mine, and because my uh, my starting eleven is very very similar to yours, so. May as well get that out of the way. I've got us getting to the quarterfinals. Some of this u I think pretty good performances or po- positive results, should I say, in the group stages. I think we'll get through the last 16 um, and then we'll fall a bigger team come the quarterfinals. I, I do agree in the sense of that we seem to struggle against those teams where it's a bit more even. Um, my starting lineup same as yours, 4-2-3-1. Pickford in the net, Durham Rice in midfield, a sack of Foden, Sterling right, uh, right to left in midfield and Kane up top. But my back four, I've got Trippier at right-back, Stones and Maguire in the middle, and Shaw at left-back. I'm still sticking with Harry Maguire in there. He's been fantastic at the international football level, whether that's because of the difference in style at that level, I don't quite know. But as long as he's performed at that level and delivered like he has, I think it would be uh, unfair to drop him, despite his, uh, well, I'd say poor form for United. He's not been made slightly different. But going into the Euros, he was injured, he missed a few weeks, he missed the first game because he wasn't fully fit and he ended up team of the tournament and he was absolutely phenomenal. So I'm willing at this stage to give him the benefit of the doubt. But that's and my I just uh, ask that's you a my quick question level. on Harry
2: Maguire before you move on.
0: Of course you can, mate. I know
2: you say you don't care about the Nations League, but how do you think he performed in those Nations League games? He was awful. Okay, but I thought you just said he did well for his country.
0: In the tournaments. Just in tournaments. Yeah, the Nations League that's all I do does, does, does it not matter how he
2: performs in the Nations League at all then for you?
0: No, because okay. like I said, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the okay. doubt. Okay. Based on his performances. Okay. I will, in the Euros and World Cup.
3: Okay.
0: I'll nick with that. I think Yeah, go the, for
3: I think the defenders he's really taken with him, um, I think you've got no other choice but to actually put him in there. Um, I'm not putting Connor Cody ahead of him um just because of what i've seen don't get me wrong he wasn't that he was terrible in the UEFA nations but you've got cody ben white and uh yeah i mean Eric eric dyer yeah harry Maguire goes ahead of those guys i think based off experience for me um but i will quickly chime in so am i right in thinking sorry let me just catch up you
0: are telling are you asking me to give you your tournament winner so now where do you think England will get in the tournament and if it's not a win give us your starting 11 that you think would give us the best chance of winning the tournament
3: Got it got it right I'll start off with my lineup then I will go Pickford in goal he isn't the most consistent for Everton but I mean he's been mercurial for for England he, he's sure as uh, he's as sure as it gets in, in the net uh, on the right I'm I was I in an RM, but I think I'm going to edge Walker starting over trippier trippier has been so good for newcastle this year but i just like walker's speed um in terms of what he can give to you know running down those channels uh, i've got stones and maguire in the middle uh, as for the reasons i've just stated i've got lukey shaw on the on the left um i think he had a really good euros and um you know for for england i think he's uh, he's a Pretty, he's been pretty decent. I th- I'm going to go for a four-one-two-three. So I'm going to go Declan Rice in the middle because I want to play a bit more attacking. Um, I would go Bellingham and Foden in the middle, and then up top on the left, I'd go Rashford, Kane in the middle, and then Saka on the right. I think Saka is probably going to be the X factor for uh, England. I think in terms of creating goals. Uh, I know that's a bit controversial because obviously Sterling's going. He's quite a seasoned. Player and um, yeah, I just like I, like I like Saka there, and I think Grealish uh, coming off the bench could be a could be a, a little bit of an X factor as well as Madison. In terms of where they get in the tournament, I'm going to go quarterfinals, same as you, Skin. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be because of I don't know. They could play they could play some really good football, but I I'm a huge believer in the fact that because we're going to Qatar and playing in those conditions. I'm so set on a South American team beating us. Um, That's if we meet them. But if we meet a South American team, I think they do us in the quarters. Um, But yeah, that's my my lineup and my prediction. Um, Aggie? Yeah, I've gone
1: for quarter-final as well. I'm just looking at the wall chart about how it's all set out. And if we win our group, which realistically we should, going up against Iran, Wales and the USA... We'll come up against the runner-up in Group A, which is either Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal and Netherlands. And I feel like Netherlands are going to win Group A. So for us, it's going to be either Qatar, Ecuador or Senegal, who we should be able to beat realistically. Uh, Then in the quarterfinal, I'm thinking we're going to meet either France or Argentina. It will be a part of the Group C, Group D matchup. So for me, we'll, we'll eventually lose to France in the quarterfinal. Um, and I'll, I'll come on to that a little bit later as well. My lineup for um, England to take us all the way would be in goal. Uh goal. Walker, Stones, Cody, and Tripp here as your back four. Similar to Mudge, I've gone like 4 3 3. I have Rice sat just in front, I'd have Jude Bellingham and Mason Mount. Saka on the right, Foden on the left, and Harry Kane up front. Interesting,
0: interesting. Mason um, Mount. Is yeah, Mason Mount. I think the controversial choice for you, Mudge, was Rashford in there over over Sterling, but he he scored some goals this season, so I, I think that's fair. But yeah, Adam, that's a little bit. I'm not in, sure about controversial
1: well. from Mudge's side. I think Rashford's probably the right choice over Sterling. Sterling's not really done too much since he's gone to Chelsea, and I think Rashford's trying to like really helping Manchester yeah. United start to reach their potential. Not controversial
0: in the sense that I think it's the wrong choice, but maybe the biggest in terms of what will actually happen on the pitch. I think Southgate's always going to favour Sterling, isn't he? only reason I'd agree with that though.
2: And again, this is, this is what for for me, and this is the way I read the question, but this is the way that you would line the team up. So my sort of Southgate head didn't really come on. Southgate's going to play Maguire. We know that, you know, Maguire could shoot a child in front of his face and he'd still play him. He'd still probably put captain's armband on him. Uh, For me, the reason I picked Sterling over Rashford was because of the way that Rashford's helped Manchester United this season. Rashford's been effective more than anything up top, running in behind, making those runs and and getting in, you know, getting into those goal scoring positions, although he's not really scored as many goals as he probably should have. Whereas if you play Rashford on the side, on on, on the right or even on the left, then I don't think he's going to be as effective. I don't think he's going to be as effective as he is if he plays number, you know, as a number nine up top, and you know, you can't expect Marcus Rashford to get in there in front of Harry Kane. So, uh, while I understand why Mudge has gone for that, that's my reasoning for not putting Rashford in. Although, as a player this season, I completely agree Rashford's been better than Sterling in every sense of the word. But in terms of a system, that's why I went Raheem Sterling rather than Rashford. Yeah, yeah, I'm-
0: I I agree with that.
3: Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a United fan, so obviously I would favour Rashford over Sterling. I think I just think I think going forward, uh, this might be very controversial. I know Sterling has been he was really good for us for the Euros. Um, I just think Rashford's gonna be a bit more dynamic, running um, kind of behind the ball, like you know making those off ball runs. He's so good at doing that, uh, and I think it would help someone like Kane if he did that because we'd just be really good on the counter. Um, i think raheem sterling is you know he's been solid he's a very very good on the ball um but i think rashford's going to be much more active i, I just prefer him on uh, on on the, on the wings I, I couldn't choose sterling and i think Saka, like i said i think Saka's going to be huge for us if he can if he can perform i think he'll uh, he'll kick start the uh, the the attack for us so yeah, yeah i mean i agree that, yeah
0: yeah, that's fair. And Adam, you mentioned the world chart there. I, I did a little online one where you, you know you see who gets through the tournament and who gets who plays who through the tournament, all that kind of stuff. We'll get into that a little, little shortly. But I had England playing Senegal in the round of sixteen, and England winning that. Oh. It was announced today that Sadio Mane will miss the World Cup as he's not been able to recover from his injury. So that could really change things up in Group A. Could give someone like an Ecuador or maybe even a Qatar with, with the odd positive result, the opportunity to join, you would assume, Netherlands in, in the last 16 and face England in, in that uh, first knockout game. So, yeah, huge news in Group A this afternoon. Sadio Mane will, will miss the World Cup and, and is naturally a huge, huge loss for Senegal. So, moving on from England now, one thing that I, I do want to talk about very briefly and get your thoughts on, on their legacies, on their potentials in this tournament is... The potential for this to be the last ever major tournament appearance for both Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Lionel Messi, the captain of Argentina, goes into this tournament 35 years of age. And Ronaldo, captain of Portugal, goes into this tournament at 37 years of age. So a lot of limelight, a lot of spotlight, a lot of media coverage on both of those in their respective countries. Also over here and around the world. And what they can do with Argentina and Portugal this year, if they can get those wins and and go out of international football on a high. Messi playing for Argentina, they have the Copa America as their sort of secondary tournament. So we won't, we likely won't see Lionel Messi in an international tournament again. Ronaldo, quite possibly, we'll see him in the Euros in a couple of years' time in Germany, but he will be 39 years of age at that point. So quite possibly will have retired from from international football. So I'll go around the room and just. Who, if either of them, has the better chance of of lifting the World Cup and ending their international tournament legacy at, at the highest possible point? Much. I'll start with you, mate. Cristiano Ronaldo, Sui.
3: Um. I just wanted to say that. Sorry. Um. I think it's one hundred percent Messi's last tournament because he's been flirting with that since two thousand sixteen. Um. And then obviously, him winning the Copa America. Um, I think has kind of reignited his fire a little bit in uh, in terms of international football. Um, Ronaldo's a weird one. I think Ronaldo's looked after himself so well, and I'm not saying Messi hasn't, but Ronaldo's a one-off because he's like physically like a 25 year old, and I mean he's still got the desires to kind of continue, you know, playing. I think into his 40s, but um, I think I'm gonna lean towards it being his last World Cup. Purely because I don't think he'll be selected in four years' time, even if he's still banging in goals for whatever team he'll be playing for, definitely won't be United. Um, I don't think the the coach at that time will pick Ronaldo. Um, you know, he, like I said, he's he's been really really good in terms of looking after himself. He's obviously a, a workaholic in the, in the gym, but yeah, I'd say um, Messi's last tournament and uh, Ronaldo's last tournament in terms of the World Cup. So, yeah, that, that, that's that's my
0: pick. Fair enough. Kemp, what about you? Messi with Argentina on his back, Ronaldo with Portugal on his back. Who's got the best chance of, of really cementing themselves in that who-is-the-goat argument?
2: I think Messi this, uh, this time around. I think Cristiano Ronaldo, the way that he plays, yes, he's kept himself in unbelievable shape. You Know in terms of his physique and his fitness, I don't think there's ever been a, a better pro than Cristiano Ronaldo in that sense of the you know, in that sense of things. Despite my feelings towards his recent actions, there's no getting away from the fact that he's 38 now, is he or 37? And he's, yeah, he's, he's like, like much said. I probably won't go as far as 25, but I'd say he's definitely got the fitness. No, mate, the,
3: the, genuinely, they've uh, the, like. In terms of like measuring his metrics as a, yeah. a human being and, and as an athlete, he is physically yeah. built, like twenty five year old. Maybe
2: maybe a, yeah yeah I, I, okay. I'll go with I'll I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but for me, I think in my opinion, maybe more closer to a thirty year old. But regardless, it's it's very very impressive, and I think he's he's been a great footballer. But I think as a player, in terms of his football, in terms of his ability. I think he's very diminished. You've seen that for the, with the very few minutes that he's got so far this season for Manchester United. He might prove me wrong in this tournament, but I just don't think he will. I think Messi is still closer to what he was than Ronaldo is to what he was at their peaks. And, and I think... I don't want to give any spoilers for my World Cup prediction, but it'll become clear in the very near future as to why I think Messi's going to go further in this tournament than Ronaldo is. And I think it will be Messi's last international tournament, win, lose or draw. I think Ronaldo might go again in the Euros, but I think this is Messi's last one and I uh, I think he'll perform better than Ronaldo in this one and I think the legacy of this tournament will be
0: in Messi's favour rather than Ronaldo's Dawson. Fair enough, mate. Adam, what about yourself? Who do you think has got the best chance? You know, we've also got to take into account the team of players around them as well. We know they're the shining light, we know they're the leading men, but it's not just about them. So, based on that, Adam, Messi or Ronaldo, who's got the best chance of lifting the World Cup in the next month or so?
1: I'm going to have to agree with what Kemp and Mudge have said and say it's going to be Messi. I don't think he's going to lift it, but I think he's going to have a better chance than Uh, Ronaldo and Portugal. For many years I think Portugal have been heavily reliant on Ronaldo and this year they've got a couple of extra players in there that might help Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes. I know they've been playing for a couple of years now together but I think that's just strengthened their squad ever so slightly. Um, Ruben Diaz and Chao Cancelo now involved as well. But for Argentina, their attack force, you've got Di Maria, you've got Letaro Martinez, of course you've got Lino Messi as well, and then Dabala, you've got a very strong attack from Argentina, and I think a lot of defences are going to come up against that attack and really struggle. So for me, I think that Messi's going to have the better chance of going further in the tournament. I do think it's going to be Messi's last chance, I don't think he'll play another World Cup. Um, I find it very difficult to believe that Ronaldo is going to be playing another World Cup after this one as well so I think we're at the point now where we're really entering a new era of, of international football for both Portugal and for Argentina with both of those two retiring um, but I think on this occasion it's going to be Messi that's going to going to go further
3: I'm not going to lie sure. I, I think I definitely didn't answer your question in regards to that uh, Yeah, Messi's going to go further
0: Yeah. Fair enough um, I... Will say messy, and I would have said messy with Argentina, uh, mentally a line sort of wall chart thing. And I had Argentina being runners up at the tournament to a team that I'll reveal uh, shortly. So my, my head does say Messi with Argentina getting further, but I did this week draw Ronaldo. Oh, sorry, I drew Ronaldo, might as well have. I drew Portugal in the work sweepstakes. So as much as my head is saying messy, I'm always going to go with my heart. And my answer to that question can only be. So I'll go with Portugal for that one. So, <laughs> christy Ronaldo, sweet! Have you seen the Have you seen the video of Speed meeting who he thought is Ronaldo, and it's like he's a two out of ten look alike, and it's horrendous. He's but he's
3: he's an idiot. That
0: that guy that's appeared
3: in that video has appeared in like <laughs> side men and beta videos. Like he's you've seen him, and honestly, yeah. I don't think he looks like Ronaldo at all. He just looks like a no, boxer like Ronaldo, but. It looks yeah. like
0: you ordered him off Wish.com and he dropped the box <laughs> yeah. a few times on the way to you. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, the full on mental breakdown. Bless him. But yeah, I'll be I'll be full Ronaldo um, over Messi in this tournament, but purely because I've uh, I've got a potential sweep state win on the line because of it. So let's start to wind this down, lads. We've had a very good conversation around England and the chances and and you know the background to the World Cup, but it's now time to put our name in lights and our name on the records and our, our thoughts and our predictions out there in the open to be recorded and been able to uh, look upon forever so I'm going to come round one by one try and keep it short and sweet but if you've just got one or two bullet points to back up your reasons and we're going to start off first with your winner, the team you think that will lift the World Cup in just over a month's time, Kemp I'm going to start with you mate I've gone Argentina I'm going Argentina,
2: I think Messi is going to be a really pivotal player for them but in previous years, Argentina have been, you know, just known for their, their lightning quick and dangerous attack. But I think it's a bit different this, this season. They've got Lissandro Martinez, Christian Romero. They've got Otamendi as a backup, who's getting a little bit older now, but still a very decent player. I think they've got a, a more well-rounded squad than they probably have in previous seasons. And I think they've got a really, really good squad mentality and and good squad, squad cohesion, which is what I think will let, sides like France and potentially Portugal down. So I've gone for Argentina, Dawson, to uh, to win the World Cup.
0: I'll follow up with, after I said I had Argentina as the runners-up, I've got them losing in the final to France. I think that they go back-to-back and win the World Cup again after winning it in 2018. I think they've got a great squad. They're missing a couple of key players in midfield in Kante and Pogba, but I still think they've got the overall squad depth and a relatively... I don't want to say easy run because, again, once you hit the knockouts any given Sunday and all that kind of stuff, but I will go with France as my winners. Adam, who's your winner for this year's World Cup?
1: I've gone for Brazil. Um, I know Kemp just mentioned then about the quick attack that Argentina have, but you look at Brazil's attack and you've got Jesus, Neymar, Anthony, Vinicius Jr. and now Martinelli, who's been performing very well for Arsenal. You can pick any three of those and you'd not be disappointed with, with with who you've selected for your lineup there out of any of those five names? Naturally, you're going to see Neymar starting, but it's just the the other two that are going to be alongside him up front. I think Brazil have a very strong attack. The fact that Fred and Casemiro are now playing alongside each other for Manchester United is going to help that little partnership that they've got that we know is so important to Brazil's de- defensive duties. And I think they've got the best duo of goalkeepers to choose from with Edison and Alisson, both performing very well for Manchester City and Liverpool, respectively. They've got experienced defenders such as Thiago Silva. They've now got Alex Tellers joining there as well. I think Brazil have got a very, very strong side, so I've got them as winners.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, uh, a fair comment to make. Mudge, who have got as a tournament winner?
3: Um, I've got Iran winning it all. <laughs>
0: well,
3: that's it. Right, let's move on to <laughs> top story. We
0: don't need any... Uh, no, go on.
3: Uh, no, I think um, I had a feeling Ken would go Argentina as well. I've gone Argentina um, and I think that's because over the last two years, I, I honestly don't think they've lost a the game since like October 2020. I think I heard that, that the other day uh, and I think... Um, uh, that Copa America win, I think, has done wonders for that team. Like, th- finally, Messi's won like a, a big international trophy, and um, you know, I think for the players around him, know it's going to be his last one. I think they're going to play for their country, but obviously, they're going to be playing for their leader as well. Um, Brazil is a good shout. I pondered Brazil. I think it's going to be Neymar's last World Cup, which is uh, a bit of a, a statement. But I think he's uh, big statement. He's done- He's done well at a young age, but I think he's coming to the end of his international career more from his side. But I'm going to go Argentina and I think they're going to be playing France in the final. Um, And I think they beat France in that final. So, uh, yeah, I think hopefully the GOAT wins the, uh, the, the World Cup.
2: Just to tidy my piece up there, I have actually got Argentina beating Brazil in the final. I
0: don't know if you got as runners up. Just so uh, i have got, got in as well. Up.
1: Similar to you, I've, I've got That's... them getting to the final, but I think Brazil will
0: just be too strong for them.
1: Let let so me make a... all
0: got Argentina yeah. getting to the final then. Let me make
3: At a least. point. I, nope. I think I think um, the South American teams will do a. They'll they'll be quite comfortable, I think, in Qatar because of the weather. And I know I had a conversation with this um, with a work colleague today, saying you know people playing Barcelona at that heat. It's going to be consistently brutal, son. And I honestly think, I think the teams like Brazil and Argentina won't flinch. And yeah, that's one of my reasons why England won't do particularly well this tournament. But uh, yeah, thought I'd add that in.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Much I'm going to stick with you for the next question, mate. Who have you got as the top scorer of this year's World Cup?
3: I'm going to go for Kylian Mbappé. Um, just because I think he I think that France attack is going to be quite loaded uh, and I think he's going to be the focal point for them uh, if you want me to predict how many goals he'll score I'm going to go with six um, so Kylian Mbappe is my top scorer
0: yeah I think I'll jump in there just with you mentioning six it was uh, that I mentioned on our Instagram page when leaving his answers that that sort of five or six range is all you need to really be in the mix for top scoring and for that um, We're well, taking that into account. I'm going to go Harry Kane as the top scorer. I think he can easily get four or five in the group stages. Um, you know, he can then easily score another one or two potentially in that round of sixteen game, and even lose uh, sorry score one in a losing effort in the quarters. So I think even though I've got England going out at the quarterfinals, I can see Harry Kane still being in and around that top scorer mark come the end of the tournament. And I'll be honest, even though I've got France win the tournament, I can't see Mbappe sort of really Taking the spotlight, I think they'll it'll be a a team of players chipping in with you know maybe Mbappe on around three and then quite a few on two and one and things like that. So I think Benzema's got more of a chance of uh, ending the top scorer, um, for France. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Harry Kane, Aggie. Oh, uh, can
2: can we quickly segue into me from that one just very quickly? I don't want to interrupt the running order. But it's a no, it's fine, mate. I just looked say, at the screen, mate. No, it's fine. It's just it's a perfect opportunity to say that my top scorer, I uh, predicted, is going to be Karim Benzema. I think. Okay. Makes yeah. Sense. <laughs> just, I just I thought I'd capitalize on that. As you said it. Uh, he's in the form of his life. He has been for the past few seasons. Uh, He's got such weapons around him that I think he's going to find himself in front, you know, f- five ten yards in front of goal quite often, with with not you know with a whole goal to aim at. So I think Benzema will finish on five goals, and I think that'll be enough for the top scorer, Dawson. Can make a quick.
3: Can make a quick point. Yeah, of course, you can make go. They have Tunisia, Australia, and Denmark in that team. They're going to. Yeah. Throw- absolutely riot and I think Benzema is going to get like multiple goals per game and maybe one of those but th- that's the reason I went Mbappe because I looked at that group and I was like they're going to absolutely feast on these bum teams so um yeah I, I think uh, France yeah Benzema is a great shout but uh,
0: yeah yeah I know Mbappe is getting a a lot of hype, but yeah, I would favour Benzema when it just comes to outright goals. And the only reason I'm carrying on speaking is because I'm coming to Ag next, but I just need to wait for him. I'll give him the opportunity to come back in the room because I can only feel feel like he's just thinking about Mudge feasting on his bum after what he just said there. So I'm just giving him a moment to, uh, to come back in the room and come away from that thought. But Aggie, you're in, mate. Who have you got as top scorer for the 2022 World Cup?
1: I've gone for Lionel Messi. I considered Benzema, I considered Gabriel Jesus for Brazil, but I've settled with Messi. Um, Similar sort of thing, I've looked at the group stage and they've got Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland in the group stage. Uh, They're going to be looking at either Denmark, Tunisia or Australia realistically in in the uh, round of 16. So, for me I think Messi on his his final World Cup is going to do absolutely everything he can to to go on and win it and I think I've got him down scoring eight goals throughout the entire tournament so for me I I feel like Messi is going to be top goal scorer
0: Yeah completely fair mate completely fair and Aggie again similar to the last question we'll finish with you on that one so I'm going to start with you on the next one pretty much every international tournament there's a surprise team a team that mixes it up with the big big guns in the later stages a team that Gets further than a lot of people would have predicted. It, it was Denmark in the Euros, <clears throat> obviously off the back of what happened with uh, with Christian Eriksen. They, you know, they they had a lot of people behind them, and, and they carried that with them to get to the semi-finals. Um, Croatia in the last World Cup got to the final before getting beat by France. Not a lot of people would have had them getting that far into the tournament. So there seems to be a a history of one team getting in around that sort of semi-final game, maybe even sometimes a little bit further. And, and surprising everyone with, with their progression. So, Aggie, who have you got as your surprise team? This I don't year's know how much you
1: really regard it as a surprise, but I've gone for Poland um, in the okay. group with Argentina, Saudi Arabia and Mexico. Um, I think looking at the side of Poland, it's not really a side that you, you'd think just on face value that they're going to go on and do quite well, but they're quite strong defensively. The one that surprised me is Matty Cash being called up for Poland. I had absolutely no idea about his heritage that meant that he could gain citizenship in Poland. Yeah, but he did. Uh, I want to say years ago now. Yeah, Crazy. about a year ago that he uh, he got the citizenship. Um, but yeah, he, he's going Chesney, um, Since leaving Arsenal to Juve has been an integral part of their success. Uh, Milik as well, attackingly, and of course you've got you've got Lewandowski, who's going to be a very important part for Poland. I think looking at who they've got to face in their group, yes, Argentina is a tough game, but Saudi Arabia and Mexico, I think. Poland should have enough to see them off and get themselves through to the next stage then like you say it's just any given Sunday from there
0: yeah I think Poland always have that kind of conversation or or always get that kind of backing because of Lewandowski but correct me if I'm wrong I can't ever really remember him performing on an international level on the bigger stages in tournament football so I think yeah, there's yeah a few people have this kind of discussion and opinion when a tournament comes and then they never really deliver, but they've got absolutely got the potential there, so I can see why you pick them. Uh, Kemp, who's your surprise team going into this World Cup? Who do you think is going to get further than a lot of people would expect?
2: It's going to be Serbia for me. Serbia are in a group with Brazil, so it's going to be difficult for them in that respect, but they're also in the group with Cameroon and Switzerland, and I can see them getting through through those two sides uh, quite easily. The reason I say that is because I believe, if my stats are right, they've won four in their last five games and the the fifth one was a draw. They've got teams like Dusan Tadic, Vlahovic, Milinkovic-Savic, Mitrovic. They're all players that I think any of us that, that sort of know football at a fairly decent level know that they're all, you know, pretty decent players at a good standard and because they've got such a good run of form and yes again they've got Brazil in their group but apart from that they should be beating the other two teams I think Serbia have, have definitely got what it takes to
0: to get at least to the quarter-final stage and possibly beyond that. Well I'll make mine nice, short and sweet then because mine is also Serbia for the very reason you've given two players up front Mitrovic and Valhovic for Juve fantastic strikers Mitrovic is having a great season in the Premier League with Fulham and yeah, I think they've got very good players in in each line uh, on the on the pitch. So I've actually, like I say, got them getting to the semi final. So yeah, Serbia for me are also the uh, the surprise team of the tournament. So Mudge, we'll move on to you, mate. Who have you got? Have you got anyone different from either Serbia I, or Poland?
3: I do. I do. I've got Mexico. Um, okay. I think I think I'm going to go purely because I think a South American team. Um, I think I wanted to kind of. Uh, find one a little bit out there, but I think they'll prosper. They've never got past the quarters and um, obviously they've got Chikorito leading the, oh, uh, the, is he? I don't know. Um, but I know that they've got the the GOAT goalkeeper in uh, um, Ochoa and uh, whenever he's in the World Cup, he is phenomenal. You Honestly, like an absolute fish out there. But I like their group, actually. I think um, they've got a really good chance at uh, nabbing second. So, obviously, they've got Poland um, in there, and uh, I think, like Ag said, they are, uh, Poland are looking strong, but uh, I think Mexico, in that weather, I mean, I'm heavily basing this on the conditions, but in that weather, I'd favor Mexico out of that. Argentina, Mexico, I think it's going to go to Argentina, which is fair, and then Mexico, Saudi Arabia, I think Mexico roll them over. So, I'm hoping Mexico are a bit of a dark horse, um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see them, uh, you know, make it past the, the quarters and uh, prove me wrong.
2: Just on that, I don't know if it's going to change your opinion, but Chicharito really not going to the World Cup.
3: Um, no, I'll still stick with Mexico. <laughs> hey, back,
0: in, boys. <laughs> back in your voice, I like it. Yeah. Why not? You've got to stick to your guns. So, yeah, that is everyone's winners, top scorers, and surprise team of the tournament. We've got stuck into where we think England will get and the team that we think could and would win us the World Cup. We've also got stuck into the legacies of Messi versus Ronaldo and, and what they can deliver in this tournament. So I'm going to close off now with our listeners or some of our listeners' uh, predictions as well. We've had quite a lot across our social media pages, so I'm going to get stuck in now. Naturally, some people are going to pick the same as us, but the odd one, I'll, I'll ask for your opinions where where they're a little bit different. So we'll start going through them now. Uh, I will start with Sam, obviously our, our fifth man, our fifth guy. He's uh, on his way back from Florida as we're I'm recording old. this, and and he's he's going to be joining us on Monday for the weekend review show when we record for release on Tuesday. Can't wait for him to get stuck in, and he has got a lot to say on the current Ronaldo situation with Manchester United from, from a club perspective and also the Green Bay Packers' NFL team, so can't wait for him to get stuck in. But he has got... France winning the World Cup like I have. He has got Kylian Mbappe being the top scorer. He's got England getting to the round of 16. And he has got his surprise team as the US and A. He's not provided any reasons for that, but I imagine he's got them joining England outside of the group stages and potentially getting into the last eight and maybe even further. But that's who, uh, that's who Sam's gone with. So went my way through the list. Uh, Jay Young has gone with either Portugal or Brazil. Bit of a shit house that not committing to one i what tried to call him out on it but gotta pick one he didn't want it mate he didn't want it when hey, i so uh, get when get i called those him splinters out your arse oh yeah, little duck
3: in seed. concede
0: he's sitting on the fence that is splitting the borders of brazil and portugal and he refuses to pick one um he's got mbappe also as top scorer he's got england getting to the quarter finals and then he's got his surprise team being the netherlands who i think have got a very very strong side have disappointed in tournaments previously. We know all about the legacy in the 90s, the 80s, and, and further back than that, and the kind of brand of football that they created before our lifetime. But I think Jay's got his his eyes set on Netherlands starting to become the team that historically they've been known to be. But I, I can't really disagree with him on that. Uh, Aaron Lord has got Brazil as his World Cup winners. He's got a tie for the Golden Boot with Harry Kane and Neymar. He's got England getting to the semi-finals because we love a semi apparently just as much as Tom Kemp does, um, and he has got a surprise team as Senegal. I'm not sure if no. that, that opinion will have changed after the news today of Sadio Mane. But what do you think, lads? Neymar um, carrying Brazil to the World Cup final and lifting the trophy.
3: No, I I don't see it. Uh, do you know? What? I'm sorry, I wanted to chime in. I'm um, I don't think Netherlands should be a surprise pick for for Jay Young. I mean, I think I thought surprise picks would be like one of the lesser teams, kind of performing well in the tournament. I think Netherlands are looked at as one of the uh, or not strong favorites but they, I think looking at their group they should be topping that group, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, on paper, yeah.
3: Yeah. Um yeah, I think uh, yeah, but uh, I think Neymar Neymar's been phenomenal for for country, club and country, but uh yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think he's going to be their top scorer.
0: Yeah, all the hype in 2014 and the World Cup in Brazil was uh, was about him carrying the nation to victory and it didn't happen. They got embarrassed in the semi-finals by Germany, as we know, but Aaron's got uh, that scenario happening this year. Uh, on to Richard, the sexy man, shellswell as he's known in the pub leagues around Rotherham. He's got England going all the way. He said, have the faith, lads. He's, he can see it coming home for Christmas. He's got Harry Kane leading the way with the armband and in the golden boot race. And he also, like me and Kemp, has got Serbia as the surprise team. So quite a lot of people have, have seen that sort of depth and that quality across the pitch that Serbia have got and fancied them to do quite well. Uh, Sean, similar to a lot of people already, France to win. He's got Memphis Depay as top scorer. What do you mention there about the group that... Uh, that uh Netherlands have got, so I think he fancies DePay to get a few in the group stages and then potentially further into the knockout games. Could be quite a good shot, and I imagine pretty decent odds for an each-way shout as well. England getting to the quarterfinals, which seemed to be the most popular pick, and then he has got Wales as the surprise nation. Got to the semi-finals in the Euros a few years ago. They won a lot of hearts with the the legacy that they've built since the passing of Gary Speed. They've got a, a World class player in Gareth Bale, but Adam Gareth Bale, do you think he is still got it in terms of being able to deliver? Didn't play for quite a bit towards the end of his Madrid player uh, career. Sorry, he's now playing in LA in the uh, MLS. Do you think he's still at the the level of quality that he needs to be to carry Wales on his back and get them deep into the tournament?
1: Um, if as far as I'm, I'm thinking with Wales, it'll be as far as maybe the quarter final. I can't see them getting too much further than that. But I'd say even for the quarter final it's going to be a good result for them for, for Wales I think it is predominantly around Gareth Bale and, and I know he's playing in the MLS at the moment and he's still performing at quite a high level I don't think he's anywhere near the level he was when he left Tottenham to Madrid or even when he came back to Tottenham on loan I think he, he's not reached quite the potential that a lot of people expect or maintained the potential that a lot of people expected when he left from Tottenham to Madrid I feel for the Wales team it is predominantly Gareth Bale, or they don't really have too much offering going forward. So, I think if if you are saying deep into the tournament, quarterfinals, probably is fine to see Wales going.
0: Fair enough. Uh, we're on to Kieran now. He's got Brazil lifting the World Cup. Harry Kane being the Golden Boot winner. England again getting to the quarterfinals, and he's got Cameroon as the surprise team. Which I am just going to very quickly touch base with you on this one. Again, one or two bullet points you mentioned about fancying South Africa. South American team, sh- sorry, should I say, in this tournament due to the similarities in the climates, do we have to potentially consider an African team to be getting really far, considering that Qatar is just off the north northeast of Africa? What do you think about Cameroon's chances, or or even any team that are coming out of Africa into Qatar?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it probably suit them slightly better than the South American teams. Because obviously, it's more or less exactly in that region um obviously conditions play a big part but then obviously you need a quality team as well i'd say out of all of the african teams that i looked at i think ghana probably were the ones that kind of stuck out to the the most um it's a bit of a tricky um group they've got portugal uruguay and south korea but um yeah i uh i i i think uh Ker- Kerwin's done a, a good shout there. Um, I think one of the African teams are probably going to do well in this tournament because uh, the, you know because of the conditions and uh, yeah, I, I don't fault that. I think it's a good shout.
0: Fair enough. Uh, that uh, was Kieran with that prediction. We'll get on Kerwin very shortly. It's sorry, fine. Sorry. It's fine. So good. Uh, next up will be a favourite. Kemp. Um, it is our leader, Rob, Sam's dad he unlike you has got all the faith in the England team Gareth Southgate and all the backroom staff and he has got England going all the way and bringing it home for Christmas so Kemp I will very very quickly come over to you on this one because as much as you don't rate England as much as you don't rate Southgate you rate Rob with all your heart so I'll be very interested to hear what you've got to say that will go against his opinion and thoughts with that one Rob is our leader he's coming home
2: Yeah, Rob.
3: Uh, Rob, honestly, this is this is Rob's influence. He could choose Afghanistan, who aren't even in the tournament, and yeah. I agree with him. Rob oh. is our
2: leader; he leads us all the way.
3: Love that man.
0: <laughs> That's it. It's coming in for Christmas now. Kemp is a big uh, Sir Gareth Southgate fan. Has he? I'm sure he's thinking right now. He's also got Switzerland as his surprise team, being led by uh, Shakiri. I'm sure he's had the odd screamer in the World Cup before. Um, on to Ben now, uh, who me and Adam work with. Is an NFL fan. Uh, Seahawks fan just like Ag as well and our work chat is constantly filled up with ridiculous trade talks between the two of them but he's got France winning, Mbappe the top scorer he's got England getting to the semi-finals and his surprise team, the only one that picked this team but Uruguay led up top by Luis Suarez and our group leader Darwin, Darwin, Nunes. But you mentioned, again, South American teams, a lot of talk about Brazil, a lot of talk about Argentina. Naturally, they're always going to bleed in sides. But Uruguay have got a, a pretty strong side. And again, led up front by players of the calibre like Suarez and Nunes. Is there potential for them to be a bit of a sneaky pick for top South American side, Much?
3: They're my pick to top that group. Genuinely. I think... Um, uh, I think I I rate them over Portugal a little bit. I think, like you say, our leader Darwin Darwin Nunez and uh, Luis Suarez. Uh, yeah, Uruguay have always been Uruguay have always been the, on the cusp of kind of doing a bit of damage in the World Cup. Obviously, with Luis Suarez's handball in, uh, I think it was was it 2010, um, yeah. yeah, and then they managed to to win that game. Um, yeah, I think I think Uruguay probably one of the strongest South American. Uh, teams there so um, yeah that, that is a great pick I think
0: yeah definitely go under the spotlight because again the focus is naturally always going to be on Brazil and Argentina but I think they've also got a good chance um, on to Chino now Chino on Instagram commented saying that he thinks Brazil will win Mbappe will be the top scorer England like a lot of people he sees getting to the quarterfinals. And also like Rob has Switzerland as his surprise team. Uh Kerwin, who has been really good in terms of sharing stuff on social media, Twitter, Instagram. He's he's been really involved and, and delivered some great feedbacks. So really appreciate that, mate. It's you know, it's what we it's the foundation that we build on that starts from now that will hopefully get us to where we see this going. So Really appreciate your input so far. He's also got Brazil winning. He's got a tie for the Golden Boot, Mbappe and Depay as well. You can see Depay scoring quite a few goals in the group stage. He's got England getting to the quarterfinals and he has got his surprise team as Canada. So a nice little sneaky shout there led by the superstar that is Bayern Munich's Alphonso Davis. He plays in a much more attacking role for Canada than he does for Bayern. What do you reckon there, Kemp? What do you reckon of Canada's chances? A lot of focus on USA with some of the young players they've got and the young talent. What do you think of Canada's chances outside of Alfonso Davis's influence?
2: I don't really think they've got any, Kerwin. Love you, mate. But nah, I can't, I can't, I can't see that one for one second. I think Alfonso Davis is probably a bit of a one man team there. So. Again, love you and thank you so much for what you've done for the channel so far. We really appreciate it. But
0: chatting shit, bro. <laughs>
3: He's, had He's had a pint for that. That is a shocking
0: yeah. pick. Hey, look, we've seen we've seen teams been carried by one man before. Who's to say that Canada can't be one of them? We know how much of a talent Alfonso Davis is, and I'll be honest, I'm really excited to see him on that international stage uh, to see what he can do against you know big teams with not so big players around him like he's used to at club level. Um, I'm going to close this off with our last um, listener prediction and I've left this one to the end for a reason. Um, it's, it's our good friend Liam Godber. Oh, I don't God. know if any of you have, have seen what he's picked. He, he left this on our Instagram page but um, he's got Qatar winning the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
3: Fucking hate that guy, honestly. Well, why have we? Why have we? What? No.
0: Look, God. I said I'd read them all out. I said I'd read them all out. Um, he has got Qatar's Almoez Ali as the tournament's <laughs> top scorer.
3: Sorry, carry on, carry on.
0: He has got England getting to the quarterfinals, which is the most popular pick, despite everything else he said being the least popular pick. And he has got the surprise team as Iran. So, assuming they're going to get out of the group alongside us in Group B, Mudge. What are your thoughts on that?
3: He's got two surprise teams there, mate. Like, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, surely if he's got Qatar winning it, he doesn't need to say Iran is his no, surprise winning team. It, Iran then, is the surprise package. Do you know
2: what? <laughs> <Yeah>. he, what <laughs> on earth are Iran going to do? <laughs>
3: he's, he's picked Iran just to pop me. Um, yeah, I think we should ban him from the from the uh, page from now on, um, lads. Okay. Yeah, just do ourselves a favour. he He's Googled that lad as well from uh, Qatar. It's like
2: Cheesegate all over again. <laughs>
0: yeah, <that> is. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely is. Absolutely no, is. That. Ag, any final thoughts, mate?
1: No, no. Oh, I, I've said that we're going to reach the quarter final, but deep down I've got that feeling. It's coming home.
0: It's coming home, and it's coming home for Christmas. So I just again want to thank everyone that's listened, that's downloaded, that's shared, that's commented on our pages to get involved in this. I don't know about you three, but I've really enjoyed recording this, and and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what everyone thinks. But most importantly, we've got a tournament of football to look forward to. Again, we're we're at this point under unfortunate circumstances, but you know if we can have a bit of pride coming out of it, and hopefully the boys on the pitch can deliver, and maybe. Just maybe we get a big Christmas gift for Christmas, which would be weird if we had a Christmas gift for Easter, but you get my point. Um, And that is that the World Cup trophy finally, after nearly 60 years, comes home.